Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the show. On this episode of the podcast, we will be discussing everything Johnny Walker. We'll go through the history of the distillery, current news, and of course, our personal favorite aspect of the show, the tasting. With me, as always, is my intrepid and brilliant co-host, Andy Kleshik. Andy, how you doing today? I'm doing great. Um, you know, I'm excited that we finally got some action in House of the Dragon. Oh, um, yeah. Kicking this guy's butt in fantasy football, so yeah. I'm glad that the... Football season's already starting again. The week is early. Yeah. But it's nice to have uh, the NFL back for sure. It's, you know, yeah. you, it's football. You're a Colts fan. I'm a Bengals fan. We're excited about both of the seasons. Leaves are going to start turning soon. Weather will be yeah. cooling down. Oh, yeah. And uh, just ready for lots and lots of football. So, um, and I'm also excited about what we're doing today here because we're kind of making a little bit of a transition with the show. We've been mainly been discussing bourbons and American whiskeys, and we're going to start mixing it up. We're actually we're, uh, we're gonna, moving across the pond, moving across this pond, the pond. Going to start doing some scotches, some Irish whiskey. So we're really excited about that. Um, so why don't we just jump right on in, Andy? Tell the folks out there everything they need to know about Johnny Walker. Of course. So this is a brand that basically. As we know the brand, they're only about 160 years old. But it really, the they had their bicentennial like two years ago um, during the middle of the pandemic. Um, so it was originally founded in 1820 um, by grocer, of course, John Walker of the same, you know, the same iconic name. Um, I don't think he's a guy on the label. Um, I think that was just a portrait done by by somebody for commissioned for the brand but um you know he established a brand in Kilmamock, um scotland in east ayrshire um and it was after his father had died he decided to buy the grocery which was also attached with um like a few different warehouse like italian warehouses and um like wine and spirits shops there in Scotland, uh, for you know the grand speaking sum of in the, you know then dollars uh, or then British pounds of like four or five hundred British pounds in eighteen twenties money, um, so definitely worth a lot more. I don't know what that would translate to now in terms of money, um, but very quickly after that, you know they started. He started realizing that kind of the wine and spirits shops were really taken off a lot better um, than some of the grocers and the warehousing side of it all. Um, and part of that was to do with, you know, in 1823, um, Scotland had the excise ta tax, which re um, relaxed, which allowed some of the restrictions and taxes on, like, the distillation and sale of whiskey and I think a few other maybe spirits and liquors as well um relaxed to kind of help boom their economy a little bit there uh and very like two years after that that's when he um johnny walker began selling like teas whiskeys gins and other spirits although he very quickly after that found that pretty much mainly or solely whiskey was selling the best there in scotland for him so that's what he mainly or solely switched over to selling um out of the stores and everything and it's something that, um, just as a brief side note for anybody who doesn't really know how scotch works, there's basically two different ways you can have, at least in in today's 
world and Scottish law and everything. There's two different, um, two or three different types of scotch you can have. You can either have a blended scotch, which is typically going to be a blended malt scotch whiskey, um, which is what Johnny Walker is. Uh, and that will typically be something where, you know, you contract through, or maybe not contract through, but you're going you're gonna to basically source from typically up to like 30 or 40, as far as I know, different distilleries um, in Scotland there to try and get alcohol, to get whiskey and everything in, to then blend those into precise um, blends to create your final product. Uh, and then there's one or two others. The other most popular one is going to be a single malt scotch whiskey, which is going to be single coming from, it's of single origin, so it's only going to come from one distillery. Mm. Um, kind of like how they, like in America, how the, it's like some of the labeling there, typically it's only going to come from one distillery, like Four Roses is only going to produce f- for themselves if they're on the label. Um, or same thing like with Buffalo Trace. Um, but then malt in the single malt scotch whiskey name, um, malt stands for, it's going to be a hundred percent malted barley. The only other one, and I don't know if it's in existence still today, um, but I know historically it was, at least in Johnny Walker's time, it was, um, single grain. So again, single, single origin of distillation. So one single distillery, and then it would be grain distillate so typically probably like a wheat or um maybe some barley maybe some rye you know any other variation of grain in there other than just solely barley so blended so when they say johnny walker is blended scotch that means it's multiple types of scotch from different locations are blended together yeah it would it would be and i'm gonna get further into kind of what that means specifically for johnny walker but basically if they say blended malt or blended scotch whiskey it's going to mean, it's sort, if they say explicitly blend and malt, that means it's a blend of a whole bunch of different distilleries that, like, Johnny Walker pulled casks and stuff from. Gotcha. Um, like, bought the casks from or stuff like that. Um, and then blended those into a specific, you know, say for Johnny Walker Red or Johnny Walker Black, whatever meets their specific taste profile for that product. Gotcha. Okay. Um, <clears throat> and so, you know... Like I was just kind of saying, he found, partially because of these taxes and everything, it was a little bit cheaper to just blend whiskey um, instead and release it to the public instead of distilling, because that was still a lot of money at the time. Um, But he still had his own troubles, you know, getting even the blending. Because at least at, you know, in the 1820s and 1830s Scotland, it was illegal to blend malt whiskey with grain whiskey. You could blend grain whiskey with grain whiskey or malt whiskey with malt whiskey, but you couldn't blend them together. So he primarily, um, if not solely, focused on blending uh, malt whiskeys and then blending uh, grain with scotch whiskeys into themselves, um, into each other to create his products. And typically they were on a customer-by-customer basis um, to fit like whatever specific requests or requirements like palate or anything like that 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 customer would specifically have. Uh, And of course, eventually he just found out it was, I think the blend and malt whiskeys were selling better for clients, so that's really what he switched over to. Um, uh, And that's where 
the original brand name for the time, um, Walker's Kimmelmock Whiskey, um, came about was partially through that blending of those um, malt whiskeys. However, of course, soon after everything, all that was started, he actually, Johnny himself ended up dying in 1857, but he was able to hand over the um, operations and everything of the distillery to his two uh, sons, Alexander Walker II and then Alexander Alec Walker. Um, and they were really, while Johnny Walker himself kind of did set up the brand well, they were really the two that brought the brand and were into what it is and evolving it into what it would eventually become, uh, as we know it today at least. And then, um, you know, of course, then with the Spirits of Act of 1860 in Scotland, which made some of the, relaxed further even some of the, the blending requirements and legalities in Scotland, um, they were even more profitable and able to do a lot more then as well. And this is it's around this time in 1860 when that law was passed that that's where at least blended Scotch whiskey pretty much came about. At least as we know it, that's really where it kind of came into its own doing all that stuff. Um, and, you know, they, were, they weren't the first to begin blending whiskeys under this new rule. Uh, they were, I think, the second or maybe third, as far as I can find. Um, but they were definitely the most, at least especially now, the most prominent name to do so early on. Um, and this was about the same time that, you know, for anybody that's seen a bottle of Johnny Walker, this is around the same time that they actually introduced that square bottle as well. Um, that sh same shape. So that's where it's partially, at least as a bottle shape, became so iconic. Um and up until, you know, like the early 19, or late 1800s, early 1900s, um, they really brought the brand um, up to what it is and taking the reach of it and everything beyond what it historically was under their father, John. Um, because when they took over, only about 8% of their total revenues were from whiskey blending and actual sales. Hmm. And a lot of that, I'm sure, was only because, or especially because, you know, they were having to sit there and do kind of like a case-by-case -case basis with specific uh, clients doing it. But then by the time they took over, or by the time they uh, really got the swing of things and everything going, I think in by the 1890s or early 1900s, that figure had risen to like 90 to 95% of their revenues. So they definitely stepped up the actual whiskey game within their conglomerate or whatever you want to call it for the time in Scotland. Um, so they had definitely figured out that this was a winning formula, basically blend and make whiskey. And at, by this point, you know, they had basically, um, switched away, I think primarily from doing a like case by case basis for specific clients and everything to actually doing, um, blending and releasing just wide products onto the market. Um, because it was around 1893 that, as a brand, they purchased a Cardew distillery in order to help reinforce some of their uh, whiskey stocks um, <clears throat> in order to reinforce that. And it was actually one of those, I think, Johnny Walker, what's today known as Johnny Walker Red, I believe, either that or Johnny Walker Black, um, that these 
stocks at least initially went into um, and what it was sought, sought after. Um, so it was something that that's really where they also began to take up some um, s- some other distilleries to help with their stocks and everything like that. And about a decade later, um, <clears throat> about a decade later in 1806 and eight, or 1906 and 1909, that's where they decided to spa- expand the lineup to um, beyond just like that initial, what was only, they didn't call it this at the time, but Johnny Walker was now Johnny Walker Red, the original Johnny Walker Red. Because um, they, it was around this time that they ended up releasing Old Highland, five-year-old, old, uh, special Old Highland, nine-year-old, um, and then the extra special Old Highland, 12-year-old, what we now know as the white, Johnny Walker white label, which is no longer around, or at least it's, it's not the same um, if it is still around, and then Johnny Walker red and then Johnny Walker black labels. Uh, and really the reason they started calling each of them those specific colors and branding those specific colors is because instead of like releasing on like a brand by brand name is because even though they did it, most customers they found would say, Oh, did you buy the, instead of saying, Oh, did you buy the special old Highland nine year old? Most customers would say, Hey, did you buy the Johnny Walker red? Kind of like they did with Weller anymore. A little bit. Yeah. Kind of a little bit with Weller in some sense. Um, so they've, that's when they pretty much, around the turn of the century, by 1910, that's or mid-19-teens, that's when they basically were like, you know what, let's just ditch labels and say we're only going to go Johnny Walker Red, Johnny Walker Black, whatever. Just make it easier. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, of course, during this time, they also continue to expand their interests um, or outright ownership in several other Scotch distilleries as well. This was just part of their plan with like with Cardi to just expand their stocks, be able to obtain more whiskey for themselves since they weren't distilling actually. Um, and then it was around 1925. So very soon after world war one stopped, um, and kind of in the heyday, the twenties, the roaring twenties there that, um, Johnny Walker joined distillers company, which is now, after a merger in the 70s or 80s with Guinness, what we now know as Diageo. Um, but it was something that, like, around this time, uh, that they chose to do it because they wanted to further their brand ambitions and growing need to produce more whiskey um, to meet ever-growing demand, both domestically in Scotland, but also internationally for them as well. Because they, were, of course, were starting to enter the U.S. market, and that's, I think, where they were really beyond Scotland really where they were taking off. Um, unfortunately, of course, they have had some backlash um, where they were... Um, it's actually... But they, the Distillers Company was actually bought out by Guinness in 1986, which later merged with Metropolitan to form Diageo a decade later in 1997. But about a decade, 15 years after that... Um, they actually ended up, and I don't know where they are, I don't remember exactly where they are now, but they ended up actually shutting down their initial um, 
operations there in Kilmamock, and that was a there was a lot of public backlash from the local leaders and public because it was just such an iconic brand, and people like just having it there was bringing people and tourism to the city and everything. So that was def- there was definitely some public backlash there for it. Um, and then in it looks like it's currently in Edinburgh, Edinburgh, Scotland. Yeah. Okay, and then. About nine, eight or nine years later, I want to say in 2020 or 2021, they actually ended up releasing uh, Jane Walker, which is, um, that's like the first non-Johnny Walker named um, label in their lineup. Um, And it was something that they did this because they wanted to commemorate um, their first uh, female master blender. And this line, the Jane Walker line, was actually blended, I guess, by her. Or at least the initial blending was blended by her. So that's, they wanted to commemorate her for doing that. And also her for being their, uh, you know, their first female master blender. Um, And all of these, you know, this all ends up going into a whole bunch of different products beyond just Jane Walker. Um, They have a black, the most common that you'll probably know of are their black label, which is, they still label that as a 12-year, and then red label, which is like their introductory one, along with the high rye, which they introduced, I want to say in 2021, if I remember, either 2021 or 2022, the high rye, then their blue label, double black label, gold label reserve, and 18-year, and then green label 15-year-old. And of course, they have a few other different, like special edition limited ones, to, like commemorate their centennial release or like their bicentennial release. Um, different like Chinese New Year, like Year of the Ox, or you know whatever things like that. Uh, and then they actually released one kind of a commemorative label. I forget if it was like the blue label or anything else like that. I don't know which exact blend it was, but they released one for at least like the last two or three seasons of Game of Thrones too. Um, a few commemorative releases for that as well. Absolutely. All right, we ready for uh, our tasting? I am, yeah. All right, let's do it. Uh, we're gonna, today we're drinking the Johnny Walker Red Label. And uh, maybe we'll do some follow-up episodes with some uh, you know, additional expressions. But for now, that's what we're sticking with. Uh, let's do the tasting. As always, we're going to start with the nose. As far as the scotch goes, kind of fairly muted, fairly standard, very malty, like shortbread cookie there for me. Um, not much beyond it, like that like shortbread cookie or like a grainy note in it. Yeah, that's um, those roasted grains. It's kind of all I'm really picking up. Yeah. That's kind of what you're saying. Which, is, for the most part, is what you're going to, unless you're doing like a single malt from a certain region or anything, that's what you're going to pick up on most scotches especially blended scotches, at least in my experience, is those grainy, bready notes. Sure. Um, cool. But yeah. <clears throat> Let's give it a taste. Cheers. Cheers. Tastes very much what I would expect from a scotch, especially one of kind of this level. Yeah. What are are there any um are there any particular notes that you're you're picking up on this one, Andy? Um 
I'm still picking up like that shortbread cookie. Um, still picking up like a bit of maybe some like plum or dried fruits, but other than that, not much. Yeah. Again, like I said, I'm kind of with you. I feel like it's pretty consistent from the the, the you know the palate and the in the nose. Um, yeah, not too complex. Exactly what I again exactly kind of what I would expect from a scotch at, at this price point. All right, folks, that's it from us this week. Make sure you go over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe, leave a review, listen to every episode of Distilled Discussion, share it on your social media pages, follow us on Instagram, tell your friends about us. We really do appreciate your guys' support. Have a great week. Pour yourself another whiskey, and don't worry, America, we'll be here to drink with you next week.